Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This episode is being recorded on a beautiful snowy morning in New England. We had a storm come in overnight, dumping four inches of incredibly fluffy and easy to deal with snow, and that is the best kind of snow, in my opinion, especially as you get into mid-March. Today we're going to be talking about gear storage. You might be saying, why gear storage? The season's about to start, I'm getting my stuff out, I don't want to put it away. It's been stored, that is, storage is not the problem, using my stuff is the problem that I am currently trying to deal with. Well, first of all, there's always a time to think about how you keep your gear. It just doesn't have to mean packing things up and packing things away. Storage is is putting it down for the night. Storage is putting it away for the weekend. Storage is, is you know putting a particular type of gear away to use another type of gear. So there's that aspect of it. Uh, but also, I see the stats, and I see that people listen to March podcasts in August and September podcasts in January. So this might have a particularly pertinent use for somebody who is getting ready to pack things up for the fall or the winter if they choose not to fish at those times. Um, so let's get right into it. I think that the first thing that you always run into is people are contrary. Maybe you're a contrarian, and there's value in that. I think that there's a, a place for people who have very different opinions. If it's all the time, it's a little obnoxious. But So one of the things that I hear about, you know, from writing articles about, about gear, talking about gear, people say, why do you take care of it? It's, it's just fishing stuff. Okay, it's just fishing stuff. But say it's a $100 fly rod, an incredibly affordable, economic fly rod. Why would you want to put it into a situation where you had to spend another $100 in another season? If it's a $500 fly rod, that's an exponential sentiment that you'd want to take care of that even more. And more than that, I don't want to treat stuff as disposable. 
I don't want to spend an inordinate amount of time taking care of things, but I also don't want to treat things like they don't matter. I don't want it to end up in a landfill. I don't want to to be a bad steward of the things I have, but more importantly, of the resources that I put towards the purchasing of said things. So I am not going to take every fly out of my fly box and uh, scrub it with a very, very small toothbrush uh, so that it is the, the hook is not going to get rusty after being out on the water. I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to maybe pop my fly box open and let it sit on the passenger seat of my car as I'm driving home if I think some moisture got in there. Th- there's a, a real difference between uh, being neglectful and being uh, paranoid about your stuff because gear is resilient, but it's not invincible. Gear is resilient, but not invincible. And this is the price that we pay with with wanting things to be lighter and also with wanting things to be affordable. Uh, the, the things that fail on gear from normal wear and tear and just being outside where it's supposed to be and, and being exposed to things like UV and moisture and stuff like that are going to be those places where you know stuff comes together. It could be a seam, it could be a rivet, it could be a screw, it could be a, a crack in, 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 a, in how something is, is machined and then put together. And that's why, generally speaking, not all the time, but generally speaking, the higher end stuff, gear, whether it be waders or rods or reels or tools or, or boats, whatever it may be, the higher end stuff is going to put more attention into those details. And so whether it be a higher end components or tighter tolerances where something like a, a seam is taped better or a, a joint is sealed better. And so, you know, if you want to go lighter and have less materials or you want to go more affordable and have less energy and effort put into that product, then you're going to have to compensate for that by taking care of it. Otherwise, as I was saying earlier, your investment is just going to go away because it's it's going to fall apart. Now, there's really expensive stuff that falls apart and there's really cheap stuff that lasts a lifetime. So that is not a hard and fast rule. But again, gear is resilient, but not invincible. So I'm going to go through a handful of of things that I think about when I'm storing my gear. And I feel like I can talk about this with with some level of of, uh, authority because I have gear that I've been fishing with for, oh goodness, was it 2022? For nearly 25 years. Now, I know that some of you out there might be fishing with gear you've had for 50 years. uh, But I also know a lot of people that they go through waders and line and other gear in a season uh and some of that is because they fish really hard and they fish really hard places but sometimes i'm pretty confident watching the way they handle their stuff that it's just because they uh they don't they don't take good care of it so uh gonna go through a few different things uh, and and again this is stuff that might not pertain to you directly but i think everything will at least in some sort of um derivative way uh touch on how you take care of your gear so the first thing to think about is moisture now this is the one that I think a lot of people say, wait, 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 you're telling me that my fishing gear is not supposed to be wet. Well, no, your fishing gear can get wet. If your fishing gear can't get wet, then it shouldn't be out on the river. It shouldn't be out on the water with you whatsoever. But there are some things that even the most durable gear shouldn't be exposed to, and that is constant moisture. You might say, oh, I don't know, I found a reel that was at the bottom of a lake, and after I cleaned it up, it worked just fine. Well, that's great. There are certainly are some things that are, are designed uh, with components and in such a way that they're able to function that way. You have sealed drags that, if they are truly sealed, then they are truly sealed. But by and large, 
storing your gear in a tub of water is not best practices. So the first thing is putting things away wet. The example I used earlier is you're out fishing, it's drizzling, or you are changing flies and you, you have something splash onto your, onto your fly box. Just open up the fly box when you drive home and that will be enough. Uh, don't put stuff away wet. If your waders are uh, wet, unroll them and let them dry. If, if you don't have the space to store your waders uh, hung up, at least let them dry and be unsightly out on your porch or even just kind of hanging off the side of your car before you roll them back up. That's, that's oftentimes what I do is say I fish or, or hunt or something in the morning, then at the office, my waders are clipped to the roof rack and just hanging off the side of my car. I don't have a lot of people that come into my parking lot where I, where I work, so I'm not worried about somebody stealing my waders. But I do the same thing at home. I'll, I'll clip them to the, uh, the trash can or the basketball hoop and just let them dry out before I roll them up and put them back on my car if I know I'm going to be fishing again in the next couple of days. But generally speaking, I, I hang them up uh, between between uses. And I'll talk about waders uh, here in a, again in a section because they have uh, some other things to, to think about. But just don't put things away wet. If your reel got submerged, don't throw it back in its neoprene case. You say, well, it has little holes in it. Okay, then, then it will dry out. There is airflow. It will breathe. But open the thing up. That's Again, it's so simple to pop the spool off the reel and lay it flat. And even if it's just on the drive home, then then it'll, it'll dry out. And then all you got to do is a quick visual inspection. Are there still droplets of water? and the places that you can see. If there are, then maybe let it sit out a little bit longer, shake it, hit it with a hairdryer if you are, are paranoid, but you know, you shake it out, let it sit for a couple more days on your workbench, or even if the, if the temperatures aren't too extreme, and we'll talk about cars here in a second, just to have the thing sit on, on your, your passenger seat or on the floorboards of your back seat or in your garage, wherever. Just allow it to dry out. The same thing is true with fly rods. The components that break down on fly rods are the glue and the handles. And the handles could be a couple of different things. It could be where the, the rod is uh, affixed to the handle itself. It could be the cork. Those are going to be things that break down. You say, you know, how is graphite going to break down? It's not. But the epoxy, uh, especially the epoxy where it is raised, placed over the wraps on your, your guides, that's going to be what breaks down because of moisture, because of UV exposure, things like that they are going to live long, healthy lives. But one of the worst things you can do is have a wet grip, a wet rod, a rod that maybe has moisture that has gotten into the real seat uh, of your rod. And you put that in that rod tube and you zip that thing up. Even though that zipper is not waterproof and even though it's in a cloth bag, that kind of, um, of tight little closed off environment is not good for it. Uh, you may have, have have it happen to you where you open up a rod tube after not using it for uh, a few months or maybe an entire season, and it's a little bit funky in there, and you smell the cork, and it, it just smells like a, a diaper. And, and that's because that cork is the, the reason why you want to use that cork. That cork is light, and so that cork is permeable, and it is also soft, uh, and, and it's going to pick up smells. It's going to pick up moisture, and cork is replaceable, but it's a hassle. And so allow those things to dry out. Bare minimum, leave that rod sock untied and have it facing up, which you should be doing anyway, uh, and have that rod tube unzipped. Real quick thing, this is one of those things that I feel like is common sense, but unless you say it, the common sense doesn't go from person to person. 
how do you store a rod in a rod sock? So your rod sock has these sleeves, right? Uh, the, the, the butt section goes uh, male and down in the largest section. Usually the, the rod sock will have the partitions will, will be sized appropriately. If bare minimum, the uh, butt section's space is going to be larger. So it goes male and down. And then from there on out, it goes female and down. And that way your uh, female feral ends are protected because that entire assembly is going to go such that that rod butt is facing up in the opening of that rod tube. So when you look down to get your fly rod out of that rod tube, that butt is, is facing you, the bottom of that, that reel seat. Um, and then also the, the male ends of, say it's a four-piece rod, the second and the third piece, and then the tip-top top guide of your, your fourth piece. Those female ferals are the most delicate part of a fly rod, uh, generally speaking. Uh, the tip-top is pretty resilient, uh, but you can do this the wrong way and be okay for a very long time. Uh, the same thing is true if you have a just a divided uh, rod tube. Uh, store it that way. I'm sure there's somebody who has very strong opinions otherwise, but that's the way I've always done it. That's the way that when I've sold fly rods, they've come from the manufacturer, so I kind of take stock in that also. Okay, so moisture for putting things away wet. The second thing that, that really uh, is worth mentioning there is waterproof stuff. Uh, I have a few waterproof things, but I really prefer water-resistant stuff, and here's the reason why. If waterproof is waterproof from water on the outside, waterproof is waterproof for water on the inside. So if water isn't getting in, that means also water isn't getting out. One of my favorite gear companies, they purposefully do not make waterproof items for this very reason. Uh, and so if you are out fishing in a either a torrential rainstorm or a drizzle with a truly waterproof bag, which you know, you've probably paid a lot of money for it and it's probably really, really bulky, but if you have it, uh, and you are working with stuff in a little bit of rain or even just, I mean, a drip off of your hat drops into that, uh, into that bag and, and lands just on that PVC coated nylon or whatever, and you zip it back up, uh, whether it's a little bit or a lot, that water is not going anywhere. So now you have water and gear and there's no breathability. So if it's warm, that's a recipe for a breeding ground for all sorts of great things. If it's cold, it's not as much of an issue, but it's still going to be an issue. So if you have waterproof stuff, whether it be a fly box, which I just don't like waterproof fly boxes for the reasons I've talked about bags a second ago, whether it be a, uh, a bag or a pack, or whether it be a, some other kind of case, a case for your phone, a case for a reel or a fly rod or anything like that, at least just zip it up and allow things to breathe. I've got some metal rod tubes, and uh, the good people at Orvis, the, the couple of metal rod tubes I have from them, they have it such that the cap can be lined up so that there's vent holes or so there's not vent holes, which is pretty clever, uh, but uh, it takes a little bit of fiddling to get, get it right. So waterproof items, something to just think about. Now, as far as long-term long storage goes, humidity is something to be concerned of. I came home from being away for like two weeks once, and I came home by myself. My family was still wherever we were, and uh, I walked into my basement, and it was just muggy. It was nasty. It was New England, but it was still like pretty, pretty warm in the, in the 90s that week, and it just smelled dank and kind of gross. Um, so I was going fishing because I had that opportunity. I went over, and I grabbed one of my rod tubes, and it was just kind of, it just felt wet, and 
that smell I was talking about before, I picked up my, my rod tube and I could smell kind of, it smelled not mildewy or moldy, just damp. And uh, it definitely, whether it be coming from the, the concrete floor below it or coming just from the, the, the humidity in the room, it was, it was moist. It was not good. So I got my dehumidifier. I think I bought a dehumidifier that day at Home Depot and, and just rolled it in there, kicked the thing on, and that thing filled up so fast. So my basement, which is generally dry, generally the perfect temperature, just it hit a really bad stretch. And everything that was down there, whether it be photo albums, whether it be my kids' toys, whether it be like the, the Costco stacks of food that I have, and my fly fishing stuff was exposed to that humidity. So uh, keep a dehumidifier on hand. I don't live in a part of the world where things get so dry where I have to introduce humidity uh, outside of like my bedrooms and stuff like that. But where you live, that might be the case. Where something is too dry, you can have dry rot for, for your gear. So just pay attention to, to the humidity of, of the room. And then also don't keep stuff on the floor, especially if it's in the basement. I would say really exclusively it's in the basement uh, because depending, unless you have a really nice basement floor, but if you have a concrete floor or you just have one thing on top of your slab, whether it be carpet or whether it be uh, some sort of like laminate or uh, fake wood floor, then you are still going to get moisture that can move up from that slab. You can also uh, run the risk of if there were to be some water introduced from a flood or something like that, you don't want your things directly on the floor. Even a few inches can really, really save you. So a lot of my fly rods, tubes, I don't have a fancy fly rod case. I've thought about building one for a while now, but my rod tubes are sitting on just a piece of styrofoam that came out of the bottom of a, I think a refrigerator box. So it's like a three inch piece of styrofoam that's like a a, like a three foot by three foot square and it's just sitting on the floor and all my rod tubes are on top of it and uh, the critters don't like it I've never found any critter stuff on top of that uh, uh, also but that's just another thing to be aware of critters critters are going to chew on whatever cordura nylon tubes uh, they're going to chew on vests or packs that have a little bit of saltiness from you sweating on them so you're going to want to keep those up off the ground and away from access points all right kind of going quickly uh, temperature is the other thing and temperature you know, your gear is able to withstand pretty severe temperatures, but not for prolonged periods of time. But you realize that putting something in the shade is really going to cool things off quite a bit. So this is where I, I like to think, you know, having your reel covered, filled with line, sitting exposed in the hatchback of your car is one thing having your reel in a case, maybe in some sort of, of tub or box that's opaque in the back of your car is another. It's still really, really warm, and that's not something I'd want to subject my reel to for a week in the Florida sun, but that's a whole lot better than having it exposed both to the UV and the direct sunlight. Uh, I mean, it can get you know well over 120 degrees in a car in the summertime with the sun on it, but if you were to put something in its case and then in an opaque tub, it's going to cool things off significantly. What I actually do is I have a blanket to keep in the back of my car for whatever, whatever purpose, whether it be, you know, it's wintertime, someone's chilly, whether it's summertime, we want to sit down and do something. Um, I will throw that blanket over top of my big Sterilite tub that I keep a lot of my gear in. I, I, I don't mind my gear rolling around the, 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 the floor mat of the hatchback of my, my vehicle, but I just don't want to forget something when I have to take everything in or something like that. 
The same thing is true for your garage. If your garage gets wicked cold in the wintertime, then maybe some of the, the gear needs to go somewhere else uh, in, in your, your basement, in your attic. Same thing, if your attic gets super hot, super cold, then that's probably not the best place for it. Uh, but we're, we're not talking like 100 degrees. 100 degrees is okay. When it gets really, really hot, that's where, where you want to, to move things to somewhere a little bit more temperate. I mentioned waders uh, earlier. Now, waders are going to be pretty finicky just because they qualify for those criteria I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. We want them to be super lightweight, and so they're going to be very thin. Uh, the seams are going to be taped uh, because they have to be if you want them to fit right, and so they need to be hung up. Having them balled up for a long period of time is not the best because even though that material is meant to be flexible, you really should not have anything where there could be creases or seams. That is where you're going to have failures. Uh, if you notice some of the pinholes, they you, you can find generally some sort of seam or crease that leads to one of those pinholes unless it was a, a puncture issue. So I like to hang them up. Now, that being said, I don't hang up from the straps my waders that have elastic shoulder straps so i'm short ish uh, five seven i guess it's not super short but usually i have to ratchet my waders straps to the extreme tightness level especially if they're elastic otherwise i've they're, they're they're not sitting on my shoulders and if an elastic is constantly being used so it's hanging from a hanger or it's hanging from some sort of rod or something like that in your garage and the weight of those waders just those neoprene booties and the body of the waders themselves are constantly pulling on it it is going to stretch them out the same thing is true for any other pack or bag that you have so if that's the case double them over and and put them over the the some sort of bar or some sort of hanger Uh, but if they are a more rigid uh, waiter uh, harness system, then by all means, hang them up by their 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 straps. Well, I've got like two or three more things I want to talk about, but maybe I'll save them for another podcast. But hopefully this gives you a few ideas of how to take care of your gear, some things to think about as you're pulling things out. Maybe take a, a look at, uh, at how your things were stored. See, is there something that maybe has a little bit of grime on it? Was there a little bit of rust because of the way it was stored? Does it have a funny smell? I'm not saying smell your fly rods, but just things to pay attention to as you grab stuff uh, because this also leads to using something for the first time, maybe for a year, maybe just for a season. Uh, You don't want to find out there's a problem when you're on the water. Inspect your things as you pull them out of storage, whether it was long-term storage or short-term storage, uh, because if there was water or moisture or humidity, it's it's really all the same thing, or some sort of temperature extreme that the gear was exposed to, just double-check, make sure everything is in, in good shape. You want to proactively solve the problem, not reactively solve the problem. You have any disagreements with what I've said? You have anything that needs to be added? Like I said, there's definitely more we could talk about, and there's more that I will talk about in an upcoming podcast, but uh, these are just some things that I thought were worth sharing because these are things I'm thinking about. First article this week is, is fly fishing too expensive? So this is fun. As I've talked about before, I'm getting into duck hunting more and more and more, and I'm finding out it's ridiculously expensive. Maybe I'm just desensitized to fly fishing and how expensive things are, but I feel like uh, waterfowl hunting is much more expensive than fly fishing. Uh, So this led me on a fun little uh, casual research binge into 
how much do hobbies cost to get into? And I found that fly fishing is probably one of the more affordable hobbies in what I perceive to be the similar kind of class of, of activities, whether they be outdoors or not. So check that out and uh, see where your other hobbies line up with the five or six that I researched. Wednesday's article was called Fly Fishing Level 1000. So what you are listening to, if you go to the podcast's show notes on castingacross.com, that post that contains this podcast in the show notes is the 1,000th post on castingacross.com. That means that for 333 weeks, I've been writing three times a week. Uh, it's fun uh, to look back on, on what Casting Across started as, what it has become, and as always, I appreciate you being a part of it. This week's recommendation is the Trout Unlimited Summer Camp and Academies for Teenagers. Now, they are all over the place. Some of them have probably hit their registration deadlines, but there are a lot of them. These are fantastic programs for kids that are interested in fly fishing, that are interested in conservation. They have them in Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, uh, Georgia, Idaho, Illinois, Maine, Michigan, Montana, New Hampshire, New York, North Carolina, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, uh, Vermont, uh, the Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, D.C. area, Washington State, and Wisconsin. Some of these states actually have multiple camps because they have so much interest. Uh, but again, uh, some of these deadlines for registration have already uh, passed, but there's no uh, hurting in reaching out. If you are a teen who's interested in fly fishing and conservation, if you have a teen in your life that is interested in these things, I attribute my time to the original camp, the original Pennsylvania uh, Trout Unlimited uh, Rivers Conservation and Fly Fishing Youth Camp uh, for my interest in conservation. Truly, I was a fly fishing kid, and then I became a more well-rounded angler and uh, environmental steward after that. If you have questions about that, I'm always happy to talk. Matthew at castingacross.com. If you went to a Trout Unlimited Youth Camp, I would love to hear uh, from you also. Reach out, and I'm happy to have that conversation. But I'll put a link to that page on uh, the show notes for this podcast on castingacross.com. But if you just Google TU or Trout Unlimited Youth Camps, then that list will pop up. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.